listeners, it's Jenners from the Mixtape Memories podcast here to tell you about something positive. Sex positive, in fact. If you're like me, by now you've probably got a lot of time on your hands and are desperately seeking some form of pleasure or a stimulus. Well, I've got this awesome offer for you from our lovely sponsor, AdamandEve.com. Right now, you can select almost any one item for 50% off at adamandeve.com. But, wait, on top of all that, you will also get some awesome free stuff to spice up your bedroom. Enter the code MIXTAPE, that's M-I-X-T-A-P-E, MIXTAPE at checkout and get 10 free gifts. Few special sexy items, plus six spicy movies, and you got a whole evening ahead of you. And also free shipping, can't forget that. Get yourself a gift or surprise your partner or partners as it may be with a gift. And uh, don't forget to put together a special mixtape playlist to set the right mood. Shoegaze, perhaps? The offer code again is mixtape, M I X T A P E, mixtape at adamandeve.com Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mixtape Mixed Tape Memories. Memories. I'm Matt Hartspade. And I'm Jenners. And uh, welcome back. Uh, we have a very special group of guests today. Uh, it's kind of a couples episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, so my partner, Boshko, is here. Say hello. Hi, my name is Boshko. I'm really um, excited to be on my first podcast ever. Yay. Yay. <laughs> and uh, my boo, <laughs> Ryan Mulkey. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> and Ryan, of course, does, uh, well, he created our graphic and also our intro and outro music. Yes. yes. And does a lot of help with us technically. <laughs> yes. Yes. I try. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hopefully it works. Yeah, we just wanted um, like a couple's edition and we could kind of talk about, you know, their experiences from the 90s and the aughts as well because they grew up in some different scenes and are also now in New York. Yeah, and different locations. I mean, for me, as you all know, like I grew up in Brooklyn. Now I'm here in Brooklyn. So I'm a little, I don't know, it's been in my own bubble for most of my life except for my college years. Mm. Um, But Bosco grew up in Europe. Yeah, you go ahead and tell them. <laughs> okay, so um, I'm originally from um, Belgrade, Serbia, and the first half of the 90s I spent um, there. Those were my high school years, and then from 95 to 98, I was in France for beginning of college, and then I got to the U.S. in 98 and was there, um, started in Louisville, Kentucky, um, so oh, I was cool. there from... 98 to 2004, and then New York, 2004. Wow. What about you, Ryan? Uh, I'm from Denton, Texas, and uh, I moved here about um, 14 years ago. Um, yeah, I was just in the music scene there for in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just, there was a lot of shows there. So. Was there a local scene there? 
Yeah, there was like a big local scene. Um, and what was the vibe, pretty much? It was like a lot of like, um, it was like the 90s, like punk and space rock was mm-hmm. one thing. Mm-hmm. And then everything from noise to um, art rock. And I mean, it was just kind of all over the place. And the scene was kind of accepting of people doing, you know, all sorts of kind of genres and mm-hmm. really experimenting. It was kind of an experimental scene in general. Mm-hmm. Well, they have that experimental um, festival now. Isn't it called Marfa Myths, I think? Uh, it, and it's kind of in the middle of nowhere, Texas. Yeah. And it's kind of under the stars, and it's an outdoor thing. And pretty much people collaborate, don't collaborate, you know, play for hours on end, don't play for hours. It's, kind of, it's very free form, and I feel like that kind of maybe fits in with that. Uh, but I think a lot of people that go are – well, a high out off their you know out of their minds, but also just kind of taking it all in. It's a different a festival experience than say like Coachella or something, yeah. you know. Yeah, definitely. I mean, after Donald Judd moved there in the '70s to Marfa, there mm-hmm. was like, you know, kind of a more there's a definitely more artistic scene there, and then Texas psychedelic music and experimental um, rock was you know was popular and you know the 60s and like austin and mm-hmm. denton's known for its like jazz school mm-hmm. and um so yeah th- there's definitely a scene for that kind of you know more experimental kind of how is the scene different from like the 90s and through the aughts because it changed quite a bit i feel like yeah it did you know it was kind of i guess in the 90s it was um it was really kind of getting started there was a few clubs um, by like 90 I think like 94 or so this like club the Argo kind of came around and that place like really uh, shaped the scene a lot we had like a lot of great acts like come through there like um, I saw the silver apples there like I think like 95 or something mm-hmm. um, and then later like um, a rehearsal studio called rubber gloves Mm-hmm. Uh, came about and also during that period there's the good bad art collective which did a lot of like crazy art experiments and um, had shows like on the weekends like music shows yeah i mean because there's a scene there it really was like a touring stop on a lot of tours definitely mm-hmm. like south by southwest like people would always stop and Denton and play there first or or after right yeah um what was the music scene like for you, Bastro? Um, <clears throat> well, in um, the first half of the 90s, I didn't, like up to 94, most of the, n- I didn't really go to shows um, or to, um, to clubs, which I started later. Most of the music I kind of consumed through MTV Europe. Mm. So everything was kind of through TV. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, but it was really interesting that when I was kind of looking through the kind of electronic dance stuff in the early 90s that I um, watched on TV, um, I realized when I looked it up a little bit that it actually came through Germany Mm. um, and it was produced, it was kind of like Euro dance music, which um, like Snap, Labouche, all those Mm. acts are actually come out of Germany and um, a culture beat, so um, that's something that I I really was into. 
um, through TV, but then also kind of a lot of, um, you know, a lot of things from the United States that they showed, like REM. Um, I really graphically have the like losing my religion of course. Um, <laughs> kind of uh, video, but, but but because when I was thinking about what I'm gonna talk about here, I actually realized that for quite a few years, from let's say ninety to ninety four the visuals, the videos were really integral to kind of me consuming music, whether it was like, you know, Mariah Carey um, or um, Roxette mm. or, um, and, and, and some of the acts that, or um, musicians that I saw through TV, I wouldn't have normally maybe um, listened to them, but because w one example was like Extreme, Oh um, my god, yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, and their hit that was... Um, more than words? Yeah, more than <laughs> words. Like, I had a crush on one of the singers, and I was like, wow. But I would have never really listened to such an act if it wasn't for MTV. So, um, yeah. Um, but a lot of the people that I enjoyed in the first half of the 90s were, like, salt and Pepper or In Vogue or... Um, a lot of American. A lot of American, and thinking about it, like for the whole decade, for instance, it, uh, Madonna was somebody that um, I followed mm -hmm. for the full decade, but again, very heavily yeah. through um, through videos and MTV. Um, but I was definitely an MTV baby. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like yeah, definitely. I was glued to that, that stuff. Um, so I totally get that. The visually, you know, music videos were like such a great way to like experience music back then. Um, I mean, like, right, like you were saying, like, um, you could like pay to like have your couple in like the, the aha music video, <laughs> you know, like, remember that music video with the drawing? And yeah, everything? take on me, yeah, take yeah. on me. Ryan is telling me you can now pay. Yeah, I get, I get, oh I get like God. a targeted like <laughs> oh, Instagram that ad, <laughs> and it looks so creepy. It's like the video with like I you was know, like, like we need to do this. <laughs> <laughs> so no, what happens? You no. submit a photo or a video, and they make it into that kind of format. Yeah, I guess only a picture because it it looks like you're like they took the head and then they just like cut the triangle down on the, like I mean like a rectangle with a mouth to chin is uh -huh. and it just moves in a very like your <laughs> mouth is an open <laughs> rectangle that's uh, like expanding and i guess like it, and the rest of it's like the actual video <laughs> but oh, your head funny. is superimposed on on like uh, the dude well i guess we're the, the target market i don't think they're they're offering that to 15 year olds <laughs> <laughs> yeah 15 year olds are like what is this <laughs> The end product looks pretty creepy. <laughs> I keep looking at it like this is, I don't know, just like, I don't know how to feel about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but the music videos used to be such a big deal, but now they're not so much anymore. Well, I, the idea of a video premiere, obviously, almost always it'll wind up on YouTube unless you're like Taylor Swift and they premiere it on Good Morning America right. or something. So it's kind of, it kind of gets lost quickly. Although the view counts for some of these videos, I mean, if you look online at a, you know, like an Ariana video or a Billie Eilish video, they have hundreds of millions of views. So people are watching them. It's just the idea of sitting in front of a television screen waiting for the REM video to come on doesn't exist anymore. 
But in general, that's the difference between consuming music now versus the 90s where you had to sit around and wait for the CD to come out or the video to premiere or whatever, buy the band t-shirt. Now everything is so instant. It takes, for me, a little bit the fun out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we had less media options. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a lot more focused. Like, I can't even remember how many cable television channels we had, but it was probably like in the 30s maybe. Mm-hmm. Or I, I don't even know. Like, it yeah. wasn't, wasn't much. And we had three growing up. <laughs> <laughs> three cable or three period? Well, Three period, and then later they added some some channels, but we didn't really have cable. It was just more like kind of channels that you could. You know what I find interesting is that some of the stuff that you play in the house that is uh, that you know from MTV Europe and from the '90s and whatnot. Some of that crossed over here, like La Bouche Be My Lover was a huge hit here. But then there's stuff that you know that I don't know at all oh, right. that was only popular in Europe yeah. that was a huge pop or club hit there but right, here nobody right. that, knows it, it. that it's obscure they had this um yeah i was like playing to the other day they had um uh some they're mostly like european like swedish or german again um singers that kind of crossed it was a mix of electronic dance music hip-hop reggae and some dance hall stuff but the main beat was electronic music which was like Dr. Alban or M People or M- Mr. President that really never kind of crossed over, but it was this in the same vein as Labouche or things like that, but it didn't quite um, cross over because I guess there was a big difference maybe what American MTV and European MTV, certain segments didn't cross over. I feel like M People is one of those bands that I always have heard of and, and always saw on like you know, Q Magazine would write up the review, but I never really knew what M, what what it hell, what the hell it was. You know, who they were. Yeah, out of what you just said, uh, that was the only one I recognized. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. right. Yeah, but I feel like you know those like dance parties you throw. Um, what are they called again? Oh, the Ugotopia. Yeah, Ugotopia. Um, even though I don't know the songs, like I. It still feels like weirdly nostalgic <laughs> to me because it's a very familiar sounding kind of music. Well, well you know what I think? Pa- you could speak more to it, obviously, <laughs> sure. but I think part of it is that not every song and not even a, a quarter of the songs, but maybe a tenth of the songs borrow things from songs that were more popular in the States that they kind of repurposed. Yeah, and yes, that's true. And like there's reference points there that we, we're like, OK, that's definitely Mama's and Papa's California Dreamin', but it's... A, Bosnian song, right. Bosnian lyrics right. over it. Right. Sometimes you know? they do. I mean, it's more <laughs> rare, but it's true that it, in, in some instances there'll be like a complete ripoff. But um, at times I feel why the sound is popular because, especially I think with the ones that are from the 80s that have kind of like a new wave um, kind of sound or disco influence sound, um, things like that. I think where it gets a little. Where it, when it got kind of weirder is like in the 90s when there was this other genre that we actually don't play on um, during the, w- when we throw these parties in New York is, uh, it's called Turbo Folk. And it was this weird kind of hybrid between traditional Serbian music that is influenced by Middle Eastern and Turkish sound because Historically, we were under the Turks for like 500 years from the 1300s to the 1800s. And then that was mixed 
with kind of like um, electronic turbo kind of sound on top of this like Middle Eastern folk kind of thing and created this like very weird hybrid that actually started in the mid 90s but continues to today and it took new shapes and forms mm. um, but that's something that I kind of really listened to as well because it was on TV and it started being nascent in the like early to mid 90s mm. How, like did you all Ryan did you also like discover music through like the MTV thing and or how else did you like discover music back then yeah definitely I mean through MTV was like huge um, you know from when I was like a little kid uh, I think my mom told me don't watch MTV. Well, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> of it's course. Like, like is it a poison uh, your brain? Yeah, or exactly. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I guess I wanted to poison my brain. And, um, you know, after, like, I saw, like, Depeche Mode's Enjoy the Silence mm -hmm. or, like, um, um, what was that? There was Fish Heads. Do you remember that? Fish I don't remember. Really Pulley Fish Heads. It was, like, a no. like I'll, a I'll really Google weird, that later. Like, <laughs> um, like, song. Uh, um, stuff like that was, like, really appealing and, you know, um, just different MTV shows. I mean, mm -hmm. 120 Minutes was hugely influential. Yes, um, and all like a lot of those like programs. That's um, how I got my news MTV news. Yes. <laughs> you knew it was a big deal when Kurt Loder would appear and tell you something. the story, yeah. Kurt Loder. Yeah. You know. <laughs> well, you know it's funny. From my day job now, I sometimes work with WNYC, and their midday show is hosted by Allison Stewart, who did the news for a, for a moment there after Kurt and Tabitha. That's right. So it's it's interesting now to like know her in that sense because I'm sure a lot of people that chat with her don't know her like 1997 MTV life. reference. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's really weird when people grow into some other like career, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. like next thing they'll be like a host on Food Network or something. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> Actually, speaking of hosts, MTV had some cool hosts back in the day, I feel. And yeah, I don't know. Pre-Carson Daly. I or thought Duff was like really cool. <laughs> Remember her? Like, yes. She was, yes. Like, I don't know. Um, then and there was like Kennedy. You know right. what? It's unfortunate because I used to love Kennedy and I only realized recently that she's now this like Fox News talking head and she was actually always super conservative. Oh, I, I didn't no realize. Idea. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh but she gosh. was really cool. She had the look too. She had know? a look. Yeah. Um, she hosted Alternative Nation or 120 Minutes or both. I forget. We'll have to go look at that. Yeah, later. I can't yeah. remember that. Yeah. Might have been an alternative it, nation, actually. I think it was, you know, she always had like a uh, Drama Rama t shirt on. Mm -hmm. Like, I just remember <laughs> that. This is my favorite band. Like, yeah, like, yeah, you know, like yeah. Always. But I can't remember. Maybe she did both. Um, I remember there was two main guys. Uh, alternative Nation. Alternative Nation. Oh, yeah. 120 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, uh, not Matt Pinfield. Or he was later. He was later. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, um, um, I'm kind of getting it mixed up with um, with uh, Headbangers Ball. Oh, Headbangers Ball! I used to watch <laughs> that too. But I mean, 120 minutes was more of like what I was into. But yeah. I used to watch Headbangers Ball. Yeah. Um, what I did like about Alternative Nation 120 minutes is that um, it was in certain cases it was exactly what alternative radio was playing then. But in a lot of instances, for me, I felt like I discovered a lot of things through that show that I wouldn't have been exposed to otherwise because I was obsessed with alternative radio in the mid nineties and um, I would never have discovered like uh, 
I don't know. I'm trying to think of a band off the top of my head, but quite a few. You yeah. Know? I mean, definitely for me, like alternative radio was, I think, what kind of really spawned it too. Mm-hmm. Um, because I would, we had a, uh, like a radio station pop up in like, I think 1988 um, called The Edge in, in um, North Texas. Mm-hmm. I mean, it kind of, it went, it wasn't very good by like the mid to late 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, it played like whatever everybody else was playing. Yeah. But um, in the late 80s and early 90s, I mean, it was huge. Like, um, I would put a tape in at night mm-hmm. and, like, put the headphones in and, like, listen to the show and just record the entire night and then listen to it the next day or whatever, you mm-hmm. know. Um, yeah, I remember those days. We had a station here that was actually Long Island-based. It was 92.7. I forget what the call letters were. But they also kind of, even though it was, quote-unquote, an alternative or modern rock station, they pretty much played what they wanted until maybe – 96 and then they became you know they just played the same top 40 version of alternative radio that everyone else was playing with you know blink 182 and god knows what else yeah Uh, another way that it's also via tv that um what was a big thing uh was eurovision contest oh yeah of course yeah Uh, and they're actually before the eurovision contest you had like the local country had a contest where people from the whole country were basically competing to who's going to go wherever the contest is in um, Europe. So it was kind of like two-tiered. Um, so that was kind of like a big deal, I remember, growing up. Um, it was all. It used to be always in May. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, then you'd see, like, they would have also, like, videos. Every, every contestant would have to produce a video. And then a version, it would be, like, a version in Serbo-Croatian and then a version in English. So... Um, so you would kind of really um, read, and one of the singers I was obsessed with, Baby Doll, um, <laughs> that I used to go actually see live um, in a jazz club. She would sing um, kind of like covers of Billie Holiday and stuff, and I didn't really, sometimes I didn't know the originals, and I thought she was like the shit, and then later, <laughs> years later, when I actually heard the originals, I was like, well, maybe she wasn't that great. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but that was years later. That I uh, that I found out was she playing there because she kind of fell from grace or did, because she always dreamt of playing in a jazz club? I think it was just kind of like her gig, you know, her Saturday gig at a jazz club, and she played with her dad. Her dad was a sax player, um, who actually he played jazz in the fifties uh, and sixties on American bases in Europe, uh, military bases in Europe. Um, um, he was like an older man then in his seventies, and mm. we talked to him on on the breaks. <laughs> uh, but I was just like so obsessed with her that to me just to go and like sit close to where because it was a very small intimate venue. Yeah. Um, and she was like really nice. We would geek out on her because we were like seventeen, me and two friends, and we'd be there every Saturday. <laughs> so she kind of like was maybe felt sorry for us or something. She would <laughs> come and talk to us, and we were You're like, "You're her number one fans." <laughs> right, right. Um, so we would come because everybody was like, it was a club for adults. So everybody was in their like, I don't know. Late twenties, thirties, and forties, and we were like seventeen. Did you like um, sneak in? Like, were you on? No, we had to do like uh, we had to do um, real reservations and stuff, and we'd have to like order drinks and stuff. But <laughs> my friends looked older; they would put makeup. They were girls. Oh, okay. They would like serve us cocktails, so we had to like. Well, if uh, you're with a bunch of girls, you have right, a good chance. Right. Yeah. Think. Right. <laughs> um, so she was like super nice. She would always come and talk to us, and I would kind of like be very excited. It's like the um, now it's like like a 
not even American Idol. <laughs> That's so passive. American Idol's coming back. The Voice. Again, oh, is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I don't even know who the judges are this time. But yeah, The Voice and the rest of them. Yeah. yeah, I guess it's always been like kind of popular to kind of root for like someone competing mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. a star. Mm-hmm. Um, they have them in Serbia too. I mean, I've been to Belgrade three times and mm-hmm. um, this is obviously a lot more current than kind of throwback. But uh yeah, they have the Serbian version, essentially the Serbian mm-hmm. version of The Voice and, and all these shows. And um, I find them fascinating, even though you don't really know what they're, at least I don't know what they're saying, because you can kind of tell based on the body language and how the performance is, if they're actually talented or not. And mm. um, I don't know, for me, it's fascinating to watch. Uh, and also, they, you know, when you watch well, The Voice. they're much more critical than Well, here. yeah, there's many things to say about that. But the first thing I was going to say is that in the U.S., it's like you watch whatever the competition show is and it's an hour long and then maybe the next day they pick who got the least amount of votes and they kick them off in serbia i swear it's four hours this show (laughs) (laughs) and it'll be two hours till they take a commercial break you know Um, it's it's a trip and like like when if you see like the uk version of shows or something it's like every day and you're like in america that would be like too much airtime. Yeah. You know, like, like what was that show? Big Brother. I felt like uh-huh. that was on all the time. <laughs> like, and I was like, who watches this show every day? Um, but I guess if it's popular, they just, like, crank out the episodes. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not, like, kind of ev- weekly, like, in America, you know. Mm-hmm. But, um, but a lot of the pop, well, not a lot, a handful of the pop stars that I think maybe had more fame a few years back or many years back become the judges. So it's a similar kind of thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, over there. Yeah. Um, but um, did you guys have mixtapes back then? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, we um, we did mixtapes. I remember, like, um, I would either ask friends. I remember asking friends to make copies yeah. of their mixtapes if I liked them. Um, I would record them either from the radio or sometimes I had like a little like, um, what do you call those little things for like interviews? Yeah, tape recorder. Tape recorder. And then sometimes if I liked something that was like on TV, I would like record (laughs) it with the tape recorder from (laughs) the TV Um, or actually put it on VHS first on a tape recorded from the TV and then Wow. And then do, um, or we also had, um, we had a lot of like in the 90s bootleg um, cassettes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, we had those. So all the Cranberry albums that I have from then are bootleg. And then later, York albums that I bought more like in the mid to 97, 98, they're all like bootleg just because um, it's like cheaper or like we didn't have actually the, oh. because it was like we had like sanctions and stuff because of the you know the war that was happening and everything so you it was rare i mean you could get originals but people it was more the norm to get bootlegs versus wow. originals and i got bootlegs in long island at the flea market just because my parents were cheap like <laughs> <laughs> but i remember buying bootlegs of uh tony braxton michael jackson janet jackson uh, a lot of early 90s R&B slash pop. I have, I've had so many of them. And you, the, <laughs> when you open a cassette, 
you know, a brand new cassette and obviously you keep opening, 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 and it has the, the thank you notes and the lyrics and whatnot. When you buy the bootleg one, it's just a white piece of paper on the inside. Yes, yes. So yes, there's, yes, there's nothing. So that was kind of interesting. I never purchased bootlegs really besides like uh, CDs of like live shows that were kind of unauthorized by the band or their record label mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, oh yeah, that was a whole uh, industry. I feel yeah, you know, the, the live, live albums. Yeah, stuff. yeah, totally. Like St. Mark's Street. Yeah, York. exactly. Like <laughs> there would be like a guy on the corner selling, uh, blasting songs, and selling a bunch of bootleg live CDs for sure. Yeah, um, I don't even know if I bought like live bootlegs, but I was really into all those like weird live unplugged albums mm -hmm. <laughs> back in the day. Mm -hmm. That was a very MTV moment. Mm -hmm. um, and and then, like, some of them I feel like were, like, hard to get at some point. Um, like, I'm trying to think. But that, you know, I don't know. There'd be, like, kind of secret versions of it, like, like overseas versions mm -hmm. of things and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I didn't really get into the bootleg thing either. Um did you do mixtapes, Ryan? Yeah, I definitely did mixtapes. And then um, part of the bootleg thing is, like, if your friend had an album that you didn't have, then you would just make a, a, oh, know, make a, a copy. That. Yeah. So, that, you know, that was, like, a big thing. You just, like, share. Do you remember, like, one album that, like, somebody copied for you like that that really kind of, like, blew your mind like or, like, formed um, your music taste? Uh, well, I don't know. It's... Uh, have to like scan my brain. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do remember getting like, uh, like uh, I, can't, I think it was like '97 or whatever, getting the pulp, the countdown, like and mm. all all this like other stuff that I hadn't heard from them. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't really, I didn't know about all of that um, previous stuff up to the you know the '95 album, um, the different class, but. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, all that stuff was, like, really cool. Um, I don't know. I'm sure there's, like, a bunch. Um, I mean, the other thing, too, that um, I had, like, run across, like, uh, several years earlier in the early 90s was the CMJ magazines mm -hmm. with the CD. Mm -hmm. And that was, like, a really great way to um, just hear a bunch of new things that were coming out at that time. Um, it, it just totally felt, like, remember. very special. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think I still have copies from, like, 90 three to 94 wow i just like saved them i don't know why like they're just like shoved in my cd <laughs> bin now somewhere. they're a relic <laughs> yeah. yeah and they came in the little sleeve you know like yep you know, like, i can picture it yeah. for me it was more the british publications that came with the free cds but i remember like q magazine i actually remember the year it was 98 and they had like the best of the year and i remember that was uh it had a portishead song on there roads it had blur had all sorts of stuff. Uh, it had a, a pulp song from um, from their the album that followed different class. Uh, this is hardcore. So mm -hmm. um, I don't know. It's like those kind of things that you remember. I mean, and it's essentially, it's a mixtape, you know, yeah, a mixed totally. CD, you know, just someone else curated it that exactly. you don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think they maybe they started that trend um, because I feel like I remember a lot of magazines kind of doing little CD compilations. Mm -hmm. Um, that they would give away for free. Um, I remember that one specifically because I remember the first time I saw it on the shelf, it was a different size format of magazine too. It was like, it was like maybe like half the width, 
in that same link. Mm. So I don't know, for whatever reason, it, that kind of stood out. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I think they put the CD inside the protective bag over the magazine so you could just kind of see it. Mm -hmm. And immediately I was like attracted to that and like. Totally. Even though, so music, maybe they couldn't go into Serbia. Do you have like record stores still that you would like go we browse had record. Well, there were, I didn't really go to a lot of record stores myself. There weren't, I know there existed for sure, but another way of consuming music actually via records that um, was in 94, throughout the late 90s, I started going to clubs uh, where mm. um, there was a local DJ scene that started kind of forming in the early 90s, um, and a lot of them played electronic and house music, and they were actually getting records from London, and they're like, there's B Serbia Vice, and they did a really nice article recently, actually how the records were coming. Um, mm. It was literally through two or three guys that were getting like records, whatever was being published in London, they would get it to Belgrade, I forget through what channels, and then they would be like playing it. Um, there were a few clubs that, um, so it was very like current um, music. I didn't start going to clubs until like 94 when I was 17. But it was um, a lot of um, happy house, house. Um, there were some like um, foreign DJs, like Laurent Garnier came in like 95 or 97. So um, there were also like raves that were happening like in outdoor spaces. Um, so it was definitely um, one way to kind of um, consume music um, in a different kind of live way and <coughs> it was really to like wee hours like the the sometimes if it was in outdoors places it would be to like five six in the morning or things like that would people be touring to where you are or like it was mostly just like you had to like go dancing in the club to hear like music Touring, uh, meaning like, like live concert? concerts. Yeah. There were, definitely, there were quite a few spaces where they had live music, but I just never, like, really, um, I never really went yeah. to, uh, but yeah, there were, like, there was, like, a part, um, um, a kind of, like, student cultural center where they had a gallery and smaller music um, venue where they had, like, um, the punk scene was there, um, live bands, and there was actually a punk scene where you would just go to like listen to music when they didn't have live bands they would have nights i remember i had friends i think it was like on thursdays there was a place called kst which was a club of a university and you knew like if you went on a thursday it would be punk music if you went on a friday the goth kids would go there on a weekend so you had like quite a few places and there were different scenes that like congregated depending on what night um, you went. Um, yeah. yeah, with like a college scene or like a s there'd be like a school kind of thing. It wouldn't be, the, the venue would be in a school, but people like, um, I was kind of like a late bloomer when I started going 17, but like kids, I had friends that were girls that, you know, they looked 
more um, mature and they would start going kids would start going out like at 15 16 because there was not like an 18 or 21 thing so it would be like in a venue you could be people as young as like 15 to like early 20s mid 20s 30s it was kind of like a um a very like mix you know generationally speaking mixed crowd what are like the laws over there is it like you're 18 and an adult like you can you're drink 18 and an adult but like i remember when we started going out like you'd be like 16 and you'd go to a bar and you know you could order a drink and it wouldn't be like a um what's like deal. the legal drinking age then 18 oh. but like if you look i mean obviously if you look like 12 or something right. probably want they're asked for your id but if you were in a group of friends and you had like people that looked like maybe a little older than you it wouldn't be um it wouldn't be a big deal but i think because of that because it's more la- relaxed yeah people sometimes get drunk or whatever but people don't really get like crashed to mm-hmm. the point where you know um you need you know to call the er or whatever <laughs> that's interesting um so and i didn't really like it was interesting because when i started even going when I started going to clubs, because we were like 17 and stuff, and sometimes you had to pay the cover, we didn't really have money to order drinks in the bars. So we would really just go dance and like drink water, you know. Um, and, you know, maybe we would like smoke or something. Right. But like it wasn't, people didn't have a lot of, you know, when you were high school, you didn't have a lot of money. So it was more kind of like to go out and be with friends and um, really dance. And, What's interesting is that that DJ scene was then kind of in its infancy, but right now, fast forward like 20 or however many more um, years later, um, Belgrade, I guess, become in the last 10 years, it's kind of for Europeans, it's kind of like a nightlife destination where people would come for a weekend or three days and they'll go out like clubbing and um, for a lot of um, younger Euro- European kids that are maybe in their 20s, it's cheaper for them to get a cheap flight into Belgrade and, you know, go to clubs. And a lot of people that started then are, like, bigger names now that tour around Europe or it's kind of, like, well-known as in place for electronic music and specifically for clubbing. And there are much more clubs right now than... You know, when we started going out, there were maybe like a handful, but now there are like many, many more. What was it in Texas? It was you. You guys had like a good dance scene there, I think. Um, a band scene. Yeah, like a yeah. lot of bands came out of. Texas. Yeah, there's a lot of bands. I mean, you could go. I mean, I pretty much go see like shows like two or three nights a week. I mean, you know, when it, when I first started going, it was like um, houses. You know, you would go to, there's all these different houses with names, you know, it was just the Bonnie Bray house, the Wandy Manor, and one was like, they're like punk houses, you know, and, um, but they were almost like operated like as uh, venues on like weekends or whatever, and Mm -hmm. touring bands would come through there. And then later, you know, there was um, different houses, but there's also more venues later. So yeah, yeah, there was a lot of bands you could go see music pretty much you were in a band too right yeah i played in a couple bands like you know very minorly it wasn't like a a major fixture of the like band scene or anything and then i do like kind of bizarre performances 
still there. So, yeah. Um, like, what were some of the bands that kind of, like, came out of that scene and went more popular? Um, let's see. Well, I guess they were the, the Denton Dallas thing, like, early was, like, the was it Tripping Daisies. Mm. Oh. And then, um, oh, I didn't realize or forgot. So. Yeah. Then, then those guys um, went on and uh, formed... The big choir, um, polyphonic oh. spree, they became, <coughs> yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. And then the guys that were, you know, those guys were a little bit older than me, the guys my age, um, that that uh, we played a lot at like a pe- local pizza place. You know, there's like a pizza place, like it was Mr. Gaddy's uh, back years ago, and it became J&J's Pizza in their basement. They would allow, you know, all sorts of young bands to play, so you know, like a lot of teenagers their first bands played there and um i guess uh, some guys that um we played with a lot i think they're more popular now riverboat gamblers um uh-huh. and then you know some some of the members play in other bands i mean there's did midlake come from there yeah midlake too oh yeah. yeah definitely they're they're more popular mm-hmm. um um i guess and this is this guy was a little after my time but neon indians Oh, I didn't realize. Yeah. Um, but I think I moved, you know, right around the time of. Yeah, Neon Indian, Indian. I feel like got big around. What was it like? Oh, six. Yeah, oh six or seven. Yeah, yeah I moved here at the. <coughs> I like moved out of Denton like the end of two thousand five and mm-hmm. moved here. Two thousand eight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you know two thousand. You know, like, per, like January second, two thousand six, mm-hmm. uh, something mm-hmm. like that. <laughs> it's like. Um, mm-hmm. I see. Oh, Centromatic. I forgot about oh that. Oh, yeah. I, I, I saw him so many times. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, there's, there's like so many bands. Like, I, I'm like racking my brain. There's like, I, I, also, I don't really know what's popular. So I could just go off on like lists, but I don't right. know who's actually popular. <laughs> well, I know Trip, I can speak to Tripping Daisy, at least how they were popular. They were in New York on New York Alternative Radio. And, they played that single "I Got a Girl" constantly. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, over here. Um, so yeah, that one probably was most for me as the most uh, the reference point is the strongest. And the the toadies were really big too. Oh, toadies! Yeah. Because yeah. I mean they were from Fort Worth, but uh-huh. that you know that's all kind of part of that same area. But you know, um, I remember like sneaking out to go see them. At, you know. At, seeing them at like a club that I wasn't supposed to go into mm-hmm. like borrowing an ID from a guy that sort of looked like me mm-hmm. you know um, <laughs> and then uh, getting in there and, uh, to- so in, in New York there were when I was growing up um, there was like the heavier it wasn't really the alternative station it was more like the metal station slash the hard rock station and they would play so many songs off that Toadies album that really broke through um, but I remember that I always thought when I was when I would listen to Q104 when it used to play that kind of stuff I was like, ooh, because it was it was always a little <laughs> like their vibe was a little darker and a little um, yeah you know um, it was a little less of like Smashing Pumpkins and more like Alice in Chains you know what I mean yeah something like, it was just a little <clears> different <throat> yeah I feel like there's a lot of bands that like um, in that area that weren't really afraid of like getting dark mm-hmm. you know or mm-hmm. like getting weird or getting dark mm-hmm. and i th- i kind of really love that actually like, i think uh, i appreciate it more than i did back then back then i wanted to hear 
you know, the same Green Day, Smashing Pumpkins songs, whatever. But now I think I appreciate that when someone goes off the rails a little more. Yeah. I also love a terrible pop song, so it depends what mood you're in. Right. You know? yeah. Exactly. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, there was like that contingent, like when Ryan and I met, <clears throat> we realized that we both knew some people because like I knew a bunch of Denton people mm-hmm. who had moved up to New York. Um, but I didn't meet him like at the same time I met them i met him like much later and we only like con- connected about it like later on mm-hmm. be like oh you know this person oh you know that person and like because i worked with a lot of these like where I, my first job out of college i were a bunch of the people who work there were from denton <laughs> it's like they all like got their That's friends so hired yeah. you know at this job well there was an art collective good bad art collective that was in denton and i mean that was the place that i really first started going out to shows i was like this like little kid mm-hmm. basically and um so and my friends too we were all just like kids in the college scene and um they did all sorts of crazy stuff there and had lots of shows and that whole um collective kind of like transplanted to brooklyn in like i think 2000 2001 mm-hmm. so a lot of people came with that yeah and, and it's that scene of people that just kind of like when Williamsburg <laughs> was kind of blooming again, um, that's when they came up. And they actually had like a little tiny venue like in Bushwick for like a very short time where I think they were like living there too. <laughs> it was like one of those kind of spaces. Um, but I, I, I it was very short-lived. And was it only space. music or did they do different? I, I feel like they did some art stuff there too maybe just can't remember i just remember going to see bands there mm-hmm. um but it was also because like uh, then i started like living with some of those people you know it was just like uh and then a lot of those people like were, were working at like lux which was like a popular club you know in yeah. williamsburg back or then. like at north six north or six, at yeah. death by audio mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just kind of was like a very similar scene, so I think they, the two kind of groups like gelled Merged. really well, like this hipster Williamsburg with this hipster Denton mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of thing. Um, but yeah, like oh yeah, and like Cornmo, you yeah. know, like he played at our office party every year. I remember he worked there. I remember <laughs> like, seeing him so early on at and like. Uh, it was Corn Mo and Mob Ed. Um, Mob Ed was his like guitarist, um, and uh, and then yeah, Corn Mo played in one of my favorite Denton bands, which was called Doomsday. Uh, it was like a self-proclaimed like art rock band. They were just so weird and fun and talented, and I don't know. They were definitely one of my favorite bands there to to see. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Um, but uh, yeah. Um, so I'm guessing there's no, like, Serbian group that maybe moved to New York. (laughs) In terms of music, um, I mean, actually, there are now more, like, that I'm finding out, like, more people that are in their maybe, like, mid-20s that, um, a few of them, mid to late 20s that 
came here for school. A lot of them went to Berkeley in Boston for mm. the um, music yeah, um, college. college. Yeah. Um, a lot of them either did like composition or singers, but it's more kind of like jazz kind of vein. And then they try, some of them tried to kind of mixed it with world music um, or like Serbian origins. There's this one couple that I uh, actually met recently and they have a band that's called uh, Slavorican, which actually mixes Slavic music and Puerto Rican music. Oh and cool. I saw them at a venue on the Lower East Side, um, and they're also performing at, um, what's that rent venue that Aaron plays at? At Rockwood. Rockwood. Mm -hmm. They also, like, play at Rockwood sometimes. So that's something that I've been just, just but they're, like, younger than me um, that, um, yeah, that yeah. that I've really just cool. discovered, like, in the last, like, literally in the last year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that's cool. <laughs> Shall we hop into yeah. repeat skip? Well, we'll probably have lots to talk about yeah. <laughs> with these uh, <laughs> albums. Do you want to? Let's start with the Romeo and Juliet soundtrack. Yes. Um, from 1996. For those of you that don't remember, this was the film that featured Leonardo DiCaprio pre-Titanic, <laughs> uh, Claire Danes post uh, My So Life. Life. <laughs> and John Leguizamo just because. And <laughs> <laughs> what else? Who else was in there? I don't remember. Well, I was, trying to, I was telling Ryan, I, it's so embarrassing, I don't know his name, the actor's name, but um, the guy who played Mercutio was uh -huh. like the dude, the dude, the father from Lost. Um, right. And, you know, that started bringing back the memory of that movie because I think, I don't even, I think I saw, I remember seeing the movie, but I didn't remember anything about it. And then when you mentioned John Leguizamo, <laughs> I can just remember his face. Yeah, and that movie, and but I don't remember. Oh, Harold, Harold Perrineau. <laughs> mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, bes I don't know. Besides that, like, who was in there? I, I mean, obviously, it was mostly Leon Claire Danes. But um, I remember seeing it in the theaters in '96, summer of '96. Um, and I mean, I remember being very into it. But I did. This is one of the soundtracks I that was probably my favorite of the year. Um, or in general of the 90s. I remember listening to it a whole bunch. But when we were revisiting it earlier, it really is a little all over the board. I mean, because uh, genre-wise and just the general vibe of each track, and um, mm -hmm. I mean, obviously they tried to get each song to soundtrack a certain moment of the film, but um, it d when you listen to it all at once, it sound it's, it's kind of all over, the for me it's all over the place. Um, so actually, f that made it easier for me to pick a, a, a skip and repeat, personally. Yeah, it was like two two different soundtracks in mm -hmm. one mm -hmm. for sure for me at least. Yeah, it's definitely all over the place, and and I don't know. It sounds very dated. It sounds <laughs> very nineties. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there are some B sides in yeah. there. Um, and then, yeah, just like covers of some songs that, uh, you know, it, they were they were good. Um, but at the time, I think I just didn't appreciate them. Mm -hmm. Now that I'm a little older, maybe I appreciate them a little mm -hmm. more. But at the mm -hmm. time, I was like more gravitating towards like the, the indie tracks. Yeah. You know, um, 
What was your uh, repeat? Your favorite? Let's let the boys go first. Okay. <laughs> you want to go first, Bosco? Sure. Um, I remember clearly when I saw the movie. Um, I was in France. I went to the theater. And I really liked um, the whole, like, fashion kind of moment um, in it. And my uh, favorite is... Um, Desiree kissing you, and I clearly slash the love theme. The love right. theme. <laughs> I and love when a song has parentheses that are totally unnecessary. <laughs> exactly, and I remember clearly Desiree's outfit that she had this kind of like white gown, and I think in the video, in the video, and she had this like headpiece that's white too, that was some sort of feather, and um, yeah, I love the kind of like love, um, love theme. I, I mean, I guess it's a romantic song. Yeah. Yeah. So much vocal vibrato. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's over. The, it's, it's pretty dramatic, right? Very dramatic. Yeah, very dramatic. I think that that single, though, was, um, I don't know, she put it out, obviously, everywhere. But I think that particular song was a bigger hit in Europe than it was here. Here, You Gotta Be, You Gotta Be, that's the name of the song, was a, like a number one single here for a while. And then she didn't really have much after that. But I feel like she had a little bit of a moment in Europe with this song. So it's interesting that it didn't translate here, considering she had all the success of that initial track. So I don't know. Sometimes it's tough to, to do. And there are so many one-hit wonders in the 90s that maybe should have had a little bit longer of a career. You know? Yeah. What was your favorite, Ryan? Um, I'm having a hard time picking a favorite, um, and not because I like so many of them. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask. <laughs> Shady. <laughs> um, just, just to be totally honest. But um, Young Hearts Run Free, mm -hmm. I think, I mean, I just really like that song, mm -hmm. and um, I kind of prefer the 70s version. Though, mm -hmm. and, um, Fair. But, yeah, I think if I, you know, if I had to pick something... Um, yeah, I think I'd have to go with that. Although I, the um, the what is it, Quindon? Um, oh, I don't remember the last yeah, name. Yeah, Quindon Tarver. <laughs> yeah, Quindon Tarver. I like his vocals are really great. There's like I don't know, the English choir thing is so corny. Mm -hmm. I just can't get over that. I would just edit that out completely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I wish it was just like a little bit. There was more space to focus around his vocals. I mean, I like the vocals so much, <laughs> mm -hmm. but the <laughs> yeah, but that, but that English choir mixed with this kind of soulful thing it just really is weird. Um, was trying to remember if it was in the movie. Like, oh, that I don't remember. I'm pretty sure because like um like in the Wikipedia page, it's been so long since I've seen this yeah. movie actually, but like it says Quindon Tarver as choir boy, the singer at Romeo and Juliet's wedding. He was like in the film and oh. he was probably singing the song at their wedding, like as like part of their wedding. So maybe mm. the choir was like on the scene. <laughs> I don't know if I want to watch the film again, but I believe you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, back then I thought yeah. it was awesome. Oh, yeah. Back then I did, too. I just think if we, if I watched it now, I'd feel like, oh, my God, this is terribly corny. Yeah. Although I totally forgot Paul Rudd is in it. Oh, that I don't remember either. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah, he no, was Juliet's fiance. Oh, oh. <laughs> I, I, 
just to mend something, the the wanna dies song yeah. I thought was pretty pretty good. I like how it kind of was kind of just a quasi bossa nova thing that mm-hmm. mutated into pop. I still think that as an entirety that's more interesting to me. They buried that song at the tail end of the soundtrack, which I thought was interesting because I thought that that might have been a song that catapults a band like that to another level, and then it didn't happen. I actually, I really like that song. I think, like, I mean, that's definitely my favorite song on the soundtrack, and I just remember it standing out so much against, like, all the other tracks because, you know, some of these tracks are just clearly just on here because they either say, like, the word Romeo or, like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Juliet or something about love or, you know, it's mm-hmm. just, it's, like, a little too, like, on the nose. But, like, they just, like, stood out for me. Mm-hmm. And, and I always wondered, like, where did they come from? Mm-hmm. <laughs> where did they go? Right, right. <laughs> because this was such a good track. Um And it's, like, the kind of track that just, like, kind of makes you want to, like, get up and, like, start, like, you know, singing it loudly. Mm-hmm. Um, because it has that kind of crescendo mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, it's also a sweet song. You know? Yeah. I don't know. It just sounds a little different. Although, like, earlier today we were saying that there, it, there, there is sort of, like, this, like, British rock sound to it. But I don't think that they were from Britain. I think that they were from, like, Scandinavia or something. That sounds right. <clears throat> um yeah, Sweden. Sweden. Swedish mm-hmm. band, which totally makes sense. Yeah, I guess that's something that, uh, like a theme that kind of bonds this together on the soundtrack. The yeah. One. Like uh, a know. lot of Nordic. Yeah. Yeah. Bands. Yeah. I, yeah, true. actually, quite a few. I Is mean, Baz Luhrmann from, like, because he's the one who directed the movie. So. And I, I was going to oh. mention Baz Luhrmann when you we were talking about that song in the choir, because I feel like Baz Luhrmann might have had something to do with making that seem so dramatic and cinematic, oh. you know? Hmm. Oh know. yeah, he's Australian. Australian. Uh, well, yeah, then the cardigans were huge. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, I mean, that song was everywhere. That's that right. was a huge single. Yeah, everybody knows that Love song. Love Bowl. Yeah, you know. but I mean, it is a good pop song. I have to. Admit, oh, I is. I have no qualms at all with that song. I I mean, I. I but I just remember it being like that. It was overplayed. Yeah, it was, it was yeah. To definitely. The, for me, it was a song that I started um, really liking, but then because I heard it so many times, I kind of ended up not liking it i agree with you yeah same same for me when i first heard it sometimes though like i can listen to it you know (laughs) like like i'll get into it yeah i don't know i don't hate i do agree it's overplayed and it was overplayed but maybe um i don't know there's still a nice sweetness to it and it's really catchy just a good pop song Mm -hmm. right yeah I saw a drag performance to that song a few months oh, back, really? and I had, hadn't listened to the song in so long that when it started playing, I was like, I, I you know, got emotional. Well, it, it brings was nostalgia. Yeah, yeah nostalgia. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Because it brings you automatically to this very specific era. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which brings, I think, other, um, by default, it brings probably other memories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, of that certain period in our lives. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So even though I didn't pick that for my favorite, it is a good one on this. I mean, there's so many, right? Like mm-hmm. you probably have a different favorite track. I have a that. handful. Um, 
my runner-ups are <laughs> the Wanna Die song. Mm-hmm. Um, also, another runner-up would be that Cardigan song, just because I think yeah, the nostalgia of it, and and it was just a fun pop song. Also, it stands. If you listen to Cardigan stuff that came out after that, it sounds nothing like that. It's a lot yeah. darker um, and a lot more um, almost experimental pop, I would say. Uh, but that was like their breezy number. Totally. Um, and then also that Radiohead B-side that's on the album, Talk Show Host. I remember in the 90s and early 2000s when I would see Radiohead all the time when they were here or when they'd play in Philly and I'd travel there or whatever. Um, I would always hope to hear Talk Show Host. Even I don't think it's their best song by any means, but just because it was such a rare song, um, I always had my hopes up that I'd hear it. It's I think with certain bands that you've seen many, many times, you're always waiting to hear that song that doesn't get played very often, you know, and that was on my list. But my favorite track is, and it's obvious, I guess, to anyone who listens to this, but it's uh, Number One Crushed by Garbage. I mean, I love that song. That was a throwaway song that they did not include on the debut, on the self-titled debut, and then, a um, little trivia here, <laughs> and then um, the Romeo and Juliet people were like, do you have a song? Because they were, you know, they were having a moment in 95 and early 96 with all those singles from the debut, they said, well, we have this song, but we didn't put it on the album because it didn't do anything. And anyway, they gave it to Romeo and Juliet, and then it was the lead single. And then it was, I think to date, it's probably their biggest modern rock hit. You know? Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, but yeah, anything Shirley I love. So that's my favorite. That's my, my repeat. It was a great way to start the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Like, when I was, like, revisiting this, I was like, oh, yeah, I love this garbage song. Mm-hmm. Oh, we were laughing. We were, when we were listening to this, the Butthole Surfers song, um, whatever. I had a dream. I had a dream. Oh, yeah. that's another one with parentheses, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's another parentheses song, which, honestly, when I was, like, re-listening to the lyrics, I was like, did they just write this song for the soundtrack? They Definitely. Were like, they were like, Definitely. <laughs> so I was like... What, what are all these references to, like, Romeo and Juliet and all that shit in it? I like, think so. I don't know. And then, like, it ends with, like, take it to the street beyond. <laughs> oh, right. Oh, my God. We just died laughing at this dying. moment. <laughs> I was like, wait, did he say that? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I forgot about that. It's so weird. What a weird song. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Anyway, I just had to. It's kind of spooky that it's song. It's an atmospheric too. song. Yeah. I felt you know it's like, but I think there's a couple of like atmospheric songs like um, th- there was a um, which one was the there was a guy that was he was uh, his like kind of a falsetto angel from Gavin Friday. Yeah, it's kind of trip hoppy. Yeah. That's one that it's it's. Pleasant, you would hear mm-hmm. in the background. Yeah, but if you're at the club, that's when you would go to have a conversation with. Exactly, <laughs> that's <laughs> the song. And, and they go to the bar, get a drink. <laughs> right, right yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you hear it in the background, and you're just like, you look around, you're not offended, mm-hmm. but it's there. It's just part of that. I think you're absolutely right with that song. <laughs> oh, we should talk about our skips. So, yeah. which ones do we not like on this? Who wants to start? <laughs> I can start. Um, the local god Everclear. <laughs> Do you I feel even? Like a lot of us agree. Yeah. I mean, that's my I pick didn't, too. I didn't even write that down. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't um, worthy of yeah, any. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah. Um, I, that was. Do you have any relationship with Everclear? 
I actually don't. It was <laughs> only it was only when we were listening to the album again that I was like, "This is really weird." But <laughs> so I just jotted it down. I What's your relationship to? to um, oh God, just just like it would be the kind of song I'd hear on on alternative radio and just pray that it'd be done so I could hear whatever was next. You exactly. know, exactly. Yeah. I feel like that was when alternative radio was getting really bad. Like 97, 96, yeah. Yeah, terrible. And, yeah. So what would be the, because I, I don't have a context of um, alternative radio, but how would you describe why it went bad or for what reasons? Oh. Go ahead. Well, I mean, there was probably, what is it, Clear Channel purchased all of these stations. That's why I think the, our, our local alternative stations around the same time went terrible mm -hmm. around the same time mm -hmm. um and i feel like the programming went down the um the you know like the scheduled programming and also just the repeat uh, and choices of songs going on it was just things were overplayed and it was terrible i mean by the end of the 90s seven married three I don't mm -hmm. I, I <laughs> so I many terrible trains so many terrible bands band. yeah um <laughs> nickelback it's always my yeah. favorite joke yeah yeah totally that's creed yeah <laughs> yeah oh, all creed. those terrible yeah. bands got very popular in the late 90s well i think also part of it was it, it's all of that and i think by the late 90s you had a lot of bands that were sounding like recycled early 90s stuff so the bands that sounded like nirvana and sounded like pearl jam okay, but now were mm -hmm. like iterations of it and terrible iterations of exactly it. mixed with like the new metal thing which is its own you know mess that de was right around the millennium that whole limp biscuit phase and all that that's when it alternative radio totally was dead in the water after that yeah they're like poor copies they're like um duchamp like poor substitutes you know mm -hmm. it's like something that symbolizes what it's supposed to be but doesn't function or is what that's supposed to be mm -hmm. or you know in like, that context yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um i don't know just yeah it was just bad yeah i stopped listening to the radio at that no, i think that's why like indie rock became like popular after that because mm -hmm. it was like trying they were trying to find some what what the next thing was and then it was like all of a sudden it's like modest mouse is like Playing the frat boys Fra yeah, now, frat boys. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. instead of like, you know, whatever, you know, gothy indie, indie kid is out there, whatever it used to be, but yeah. Well, I think also f alternative music. I think in the very early '90s was literally an alternative to top forty, but then around. I don't know, 96 or so, if you took a look at the Billboard charts and the albums were literally like all the same songs that were being played on alternative radio were the best-selling albums of the week around the country. So if Smashing Pumpkins' Melancholy is the number one selling album of the week, it's also top 40 and it's also alternative and there's no difference really. There's nothing interesting about an alternative station that plays Smashing Pumpkins. For yeah. Songs from that album, I mean, you know? Yeah. Right. Like I feel like right now we're in like the seven Mary three phrase of phase of music where it's like uh, all the bands that have spawned from like indie rock becoming popular, <laughs> you mm -hmm, know, mm -hmm. like nineties indie rock become popular, and now it's like all of these like derivative bands, but they're not like great. No. <laughs> so.
shall we hop into Train Spotting? Yes. Our second album um, that we're going to repeat Skiff with. It's weird to think that this came out the same year. Because I feel like it's like two different, I don't know, ages in my head. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, this Train Spotting soundtrack seems more timeless to me. Yeah, the, uh, I feel like so, there's so much amazing Britpop on this album. It's very much like a 101 of bands you should listen to if you want to learn about Britpop and kind of how it formed and, and where it came from originally and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, it was so many. And um, I feel like um, I... You, there was like I learned songs that I you know I didn't know before on here. So I also like that there are some acts that I love that um, put some rarities or slash B sides on here um, that wouldn't have fit on other albums of theirs. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely pulse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really like that track actually. Yeah. Not not my not my repeat, but it, it's high up there. Yeah, it's not like their best song, but it's such a fun song and it fits like the spirit of the movie so much mm-hmm. that like it's easy to kind of see how well that paired together. But yeah, it's like all like the the cool, you know, Brit bands that you should know mm-hmm. on here. <laughs> like if you want a quick introduction to like cool British music, mm-hmm. just like point people to this soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, I think my favorite track was the Lou Reed track. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember I would just, I would listen to that. I would single that song out and just like listen to it on repeat. I probably did put it on mixtapes, uh, for people, maybe if I liked you. (laughs) 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 Um, you know, but, uh. Yeah, I have, like, really good memories of that song in mm-hmm. particular. What about you? Uh, for me, my repeat would be New Order, Temptation. Mm. Um, a couple weeks ago, I actually uh, purchased these old New Order cassettes. Um, sadly, they don't play very well, but I got um, Movement and... I forget which one off the top of my head, but uh, it was so cool to have them in my hands because I actually never owned the original, so... I don't know. It's kind of fun. It's sad, though, that, like, they just, it sounds like shit when you put the play. <laughs> it just sounds like it's been through a war, and it's muddled, Aww. and it, it, it sounds as if someone, like, intentionally messed with it. Um, and I reached out to the person who sold it to me and never heard back, and he told me it was in pristine shape. So, anyway, <laughs> little rant here, but um, anyway, yeah. Temptation hey. was, I think Temptation was on one of them, actually. Uh, I love that track, so... That would be my fave. But, I mean, I also love the Alaska song, the Pulp song, the Blur song. Um, you know. So it's, it's a str- And obviously, yeah. Iggy Pop, Lust for Life. So, uh, you know, I don't think there's too many here for me that are too weak. But my favorite is the New Order track. Um, I agree that there are a lot of um, really good songs from that era, especially, like, the Brit stuff. But... Um, for me personally, what resonated most was the Underworld, uh, Born Slippy, which mm-hmm. is kind of like a, um, I guess, electronic club mm-hmm. um, song because it brings me back directly to that era when I was going out to clubs and 
just sort of like the feeling what you would when you heard a song that is in that vein like it brought back the feeling of how I would what you know dancing in the clubs or what feeling of freedom you kind of had by just being with a mass of people and um and just feeling free because I think that's what it was kind of like an oasis for us an escape at that time because everything else was kind of chaotic in the country um that that was kind of like nightlife was an escape thing for us um where we found fun and um just kind of dance and um yeah so that's what it brought back to me yes ryan i guess i have a hard time choosing a favorite i mm -hmm. mean um, I have to totally echo New Order, Temptation of the Midst, which are like, um, I don't know, it's just like kind of joyous, celebratory song. Mm -hmm. I don't know, there's just something so uplifting about it every yeah. time I hear it. I, and obviously, Iggy Pop, Lust for Life, I mean, you can't, Yeah. I mean, I mean that's just like a, I mean, this whole soundtrack is just so good. Mm -hmm. um, you know, everything, like Brian Eno is amazing. Mm -hmm. and I could just like, go to sleep to that, <laughs> you know, just like <laughs> yeah, meditate yeah. bliss out to that. Um, I don't know. Um, it's kind of hard to pick a favorite between mm -hmm. those two, but I mean, mm -hmm. the, um, New Order Temptation is such a great song. Mm -hmm. What about Skip? What would you skip? Um, I would skip, uh, not because I loathe it, but because I just don't think they did m anything super interesting with it. The cover of Atomic by Sleeper. I just feel like um, it's too similar to the original that, mm, that's true. I don't know, and it's not Blondie. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I feel like if they were going to reinterpret it, it, they should have added a little something to it to make it unique, in my view. And it's you? True. Uh, a final hit left field because it was <laughs> so left field. <laughs> <laughs> was, that's the, was it instrumental? Yeah, it was fully instrumental, I believe. I think there so. Were some there there were some vocal <laughs> attempts, <laughs> but we're not sure what those are. It just felt like I was sitting in some, like, I don't know, hotel lounge or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, right. waiting for someone to come back from the bathroom. Right, you know? right. Like, it's like, okay. Um, yeah, I, I thought that song, too. That would be my skip. But also, I'm I'm not I wasn't that into the underworld song, even though you loved it. It's so <laughs> <laughs> not really my thing. Um, but I I didn't like the left field song more. Yeah. What was Bedrock? That was the one that built up into that like club. Oh okay. Song. Right oh, right yeah. right right. Yeah. The vocals on that were pretty good actually. Right. I I guess I I. Never remembered who did that. I remember the song, but yeah, um, I have to agree with you guys on the yeah, left field. But overall, I think this soundtrack is is pretty essential listening. So yeah, yeah, I think it's one of the best soundtracks of the nineties. Yeah, and yeah. only in my research did I realize there was a train spotting too. <laughs> But uh, I remembered there was a train spotting too, but I couldn't tell you one thing about it. Yeah. yeah. I remember it coming out and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll see that, I guess. And then didn't. Yeah, yeah, same. <laughs> <laughs> didn't happen.
But since we are just talking about soundtracks, I just want to briefly mention some others that I thought were good back in the day, although I haven't revisited in a while. I remember I really liked the Clueless soundtrack. I think that was one of my first introductions oh. to Radiohead because it had fake plastic trees on it. Uh. Uh, and like for me, Pablo Honey came out. I was kind of young, and I didn't really get fully into Radiohead till the Benz and whatnot. So that was kind of as it was happening. I remember I really liked the Crow soundtrack. I couldn't tell you one song on there now, though, but I remember I liked it in 95, 96. Yeah, I feel like the whole idea of a soundtrack was so different then than it is now, where it's like the only one I can recall that really made any moves in the last couple of years was The Star is Born, but like, you know, I don't know. It's a different kind of thing now. Yeah. I mean, th I mean, this is so obvious, but like the, the Pulp Fiction soundtrack was so huge oh for yeah, everybody. yeah 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 i mean that was just it formed so many people yeah mm -hmm. um judgment night <laughs> better the soundtrack was better than the movie i don't even Do remember, remember either judgment? judgment night was when indie rock fans paired with rap or hip-hop artists and they did a song uh, collaboration and I was obsessed with the one <laughs> with Sonic Youth and Cypress Hill. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, do you remember this? I, do, I don't then, remember anything. And then they toured on Lollapalooza together. Oh, I remember seeing them at. at, at uh, How was it? I mean, I like both of them. I you know, um, I mean, definitely like. I mean, it was just one of the. It was just one of the first times that that happened. I feel like it, that happened again at some other point. I can't remember what it was, um, but that uh, that song was so good. Uh, it was like, I, oh, I love you, Mary Jane. <laughs> of course. Oh, right. <laughs> I mean, I I was just so shocked to see them just just how much weed smoke. Yes. Within a giant auditorium, you know, like a mm -hmm. huge, and then like them smoking up on stage and throwing it out to the audience. And like, I think everybody just, was just stoned. Just look at, at this track list, guys Helmet and House of Pain. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Teenage Fan Club and De La Soul. De La Soul. Wow. I remember De yeah. La Soul. Uh, Living Color and Run DMC. Uh, Biohazard and Onyx. <laughs> uh, Slayer and Ice T, Mud Honey and Sir Mix a Lot. Yeah. Oh yeah. I didn't know Sir Mix a Lot had. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Oh, singles. That was a big one for me. Oh, yeah, yeah, singles. That was another huge. But yeah, I don't know. You were trying to tell me Cruel Intentions, and I was like, I can't think of one song from that. No, song but I'm, when I revisited the track listing, I was like, oh, I really liked it, but I need to pull it up again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Cruel Intentions. Cruel Intentions. Who is on that one? I'm pulling it up. Let's see. Placebo. Oh, didn't it have Every You, Every Me? Or which yep. Placebo song? Yeah. Yep. Fatboy um, Slim, Praise You. Oh, yeah. Blur, Coffee, and TV. Yeah. Uh, it had Counting Crows. Let's not count that one. Um, <laughs> Marcy Playground. Well, let's not count that <laughs> one either. Sorry. The Verve, Bittersweet Symphony. Um, I mean, this this reads like um, like one of those like, of course, TV ads like, for yeah. 90s. I know. Actually, you know, I take it back. There were three really good songs. <laughs> <for the session. laughs> but for, speaking of Fatboy Slim, I haven't thought about him slash them in either. forever, but... 
praise you was such a big radio that singer. Was oh such yeah. A big oh my song. god. Oh my god. Uh, I wonder what he's doing right now. Yeah, who knows? Cameos. Cameos, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Aww. He's yeah. counting the dollars from his living room. I mean, it's such a good gig. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Actually, I, I wouldn't be surprised if more of these 90s stars in general, music, movies, or otherwise, wound up doing things like that. I mean, there are already quite a few on there. Yeah. But some of these well, folks... Well, 90210 girls are doing it. Yeah, Tori Spelling and they're real um, cheap. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I guess he's still releasing music. Fat Boy Slim. Yeah, huh? like he released a single or something last year. Okay. Nothing, nothing like Praise You, obviously. No, but I mean that was. I don't <clears throat> see how he could top that one. Yeah, yeah that's right? like one of those like anomalies mm-hmm. that you're just like thankful it happened. <laughs> <laughs> you're like yes. Because um, I always say you only need one, one mm-hmm. hit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that was awesome. Thanks yes, so thanks much. for joining us yeah, today. Thank you. This thanks. was super fun. This was really cool. Just to hear like everyone's stories, and thanks so much for being on our podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you. This was super fun. <laughs> this is uh, only my second um, <laughs> podcast, and speaking of mixtapes, the first one was a tape recorded. Uh, fake radio show in the in the nineties. Oh my gosh! So that instead of podcast, oh, that's what we did. Uh, well, I was just on the show, but our friend did a a tape podcast. Uh-huh. But they didn't call it a podcast; they called right. it a radio show. Right. And then make copies of the tape and right. pass it around. So it's sort of a full circle. Yeah, exactly. It was a ta- tape cast. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Actually, I love that. Thank you for sharing. I mean, all these stories were so awesome, and it was like cool to see like how we all experienced music around the same time, but in mm-hmm. different places. Mm-hmm. So, um. Thanks for being on, and I'm sure it won't be the last time. No. <laughs> Season three, we'll have another. Yeah, yes. definitely. Um, and we'll catch you next time. Catch you on next time. Mixtape memories. memories. Bye. Bye. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. 
That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points. 